היי, הלו, וולקאם באק טו דה דד הנד, למניטו מוארטה. טודיי, וויל טוק אבאוט אופריישן קונדור, אנד נו, דיס איז נוט סאם אינביירומנטל פלאן טו סייב דה מג'סטיק בירד, דאט ביוטיפול איגל קינג, הוא דומינייטס דה סקיילנד אוף דה אנדיז ריג' אין סאות' אמריקה, בט אי פלאן אוף קואופריישן בטווין סברל דיקטטורשיפס אין סאות' אמריקה אין דה 1970's. We will also talk about the Columbus Plan and the list of 119, a particularly evil program that also has a personal touch to our family story. So let me take a breather before we delve into the details. This episode is a bit tough for me. I would like to start with a quote from Monica Gonzalez, an internationally award-winning Chilean journalist and author known mainly for her commitment to human rights. The quote, which was said in the context of Chilean politics, is also relevant to us here in Israel and perhaps also to many other struggling democracies. When a country closes its gates to justice, it opens its gates to violence. Let me repeat that. When a country closes its gates to justice, it opens its gates to violence. If you don't understand the context, think about the judicial reform that the current Israeli government wants to impose. We have been experiencing police violence and political terrorism for years, especially against weakened minority groups, whether it is the ultra-Orthodox, the members of the Ethiopian community, and of course also Arab-Israeli citizens and Palestinians in the occupied territories. However, When the demonstrations against the judicial reform began in Balfour Street in Jerusalem, in parentheses, the street where the official home of the Prime Minister is located, and police violence was directed for the very first time as a whole against demonstrators of the so-called First Israel, i.e. whites of European descent, Suddenly, the Israeli public woke up. All of a sudden, there was no tolerancy for police violence. We will return to journalist Monica Gonzalez later on in the episode. Let's start with Operation Condor. This was an intercontinental campaign of repression and state terrorism in which militaries and intelligence agencies from Brazil Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, Paraguay, and Uruguay agreed on an exchange of intelligence and a cooperative oppression against any dissidents. This coordination included, formally and directly, the monitoring, surveillance, arrest, torture, interrogations, interstate transfers, rape, and the disappearance of murdered people deemed by the said regimes to be subversive. In other words, the persecution 
of anyone against the political and ideological line of those military dictatorships. The Condor program was established as a secret international organization that orchestrated the murdered and disappearance of tens of thousands of opponents of these dictatorships. Most of the victims were members of left-wing political movements, student groups, teachers, journalists, academic researchers, artists, clerics, and human rights activists. In 1992, documents were found in Paraguay under the name Terrorism Files, which gives figures of 50,000 people murdered, 30,000 disappeared, and more than 400,000 imprisoned. So we're not talking about some minor insignificant operation. Other sources also point to secondary indirect or sporadic participation in the Condor program of other countries, such as Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Venezuela, according to documents from Germany's intelligence agency, as well as from the testimony of former Argentine Army Chief of Staff, General Martin Balsa. The Condor program was officially established on November 25, 1975, at a meeting in Santiago, Chile, between Manuel Contreras, head of the DINA, Chilean secret police, and the leaders of the military intelligence services of Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Paraguay, and Europe. The same General Contreras was sentenced years later to an unprecedented 360 years in prison for ordering the murder of a large number of unknown Chileans, including the murder of my father, which apparently occurred in October 1974, as well as the assassination of Orlando Letelier, who was Chile's interior minister in Agenda's government. The assassination on Letelier took place in 1976 on American soil, in Washington, D.C., where he and his secretary, who was an American citizen, were killed in a car bomb explosion, an assassination that caused great anger in the United States and a serious cooling in relations between the two countries, despite their common interests. Two years later, in 1978, the United States requested his extradition to stand trial in the United States for the attempted assassination of Letelier, even though Contreras was until 1977 a paid agent for the CIA, but the Chilean Supreme Court finally rejected the extradition request in 1979. Contreras was forced to retire from public life a year later, in 1980, still years when Chile was under a dictatorial regime, and when finally democracy was restored, he was put on trial in a series of charges in the 1990s. Incidentally, he also received a bribe about a million dollars from the State of Israel in exchange for a French-made ballistic missile that Israel wanted to put his hands on and investigate it because Egypt 
had just purchased it. This affair is described in detail in a book by former Mossad agent Viktor Ostrovsky, a book that was banned in Israel and prohibited for distribution. Contreras never expressed any remorse. On the contrary, in the run-up to his death, his lawyers tried to mediate his release from jail in exchange for specific information about the burial sites of people who were still considered disappeared. A difficult dilemma, since the information could have brought some relief to the families of the victims. On the other hand, his release would have absolved him to some extent of responsibility for his actions, and perhaps also open a window for the release of other criminals. So, here's a thought exercise. How would you rule? Contreras eventually died of old age while in prison in 2015. I also wrote about him in the story The Waiter Boy that appears in the book The Dead Hand. Anyway, this monstrous man is responsible for a long list of crimes against humanity, which may be worth devoting an entire podcast episode to this topic later on. Now, if you wish, you can read extensively about Operation Condor on the internet. Now, I want to tell you about the Columbus Plan, which was part of Operation Condor on the list of 119. Well, within the framework of the same cooperation between different dictatorships in South America, the Columbus Plan was a plot hatched by the same General Contreras, head of Chile's secret police, the DINA, in 1975, to cover up the forced disappearance of 119 opponents of the military dictatorship headed by his senior general, Augusto Pinochet. The purpose of the operation was to make the national and international public opinion believe, by publishing false information in the media in Chile and abroad, that the disappeared people died in violent clashes with foreign security forces or in internal wars between extreme leftist underground movements and thus absolve themselves of their responsibility for the murdered and disappearance of people that were held in their hands. The plan came largely because of international diplomatic pressure and press investigations into gross human rights violations in Chile and following a formal condemnation at the UN General Assembly in a vote in 1974. As part of the Columbus Plan, the Chilean dictatorship claimed that my father's cadaver was found in 1975 in Argentina, after he was killed, so they declared, in a battle of an extreme leftist underground, arguing my father actually escaped from prison and crossed the frontier and fled to the neighboring Argentina. It is important to understand, at that specific moment, my father, David Silberman, had been presumed desaparecido, missing, for already a year, 
after he was kidnapped from prison in October 4th, 1974, by the DINA, the Chilean secret police. Yes, that same organization created and managed and supervised by General Contreras. Remember the journalist Monica Gonzalez, with whose quote I opened the episode? Well, she traveled to Argentina to investigate this claim. Note, this is at the height of the dictatorship, at great personal risk, and brought pictures of this cadaver, which was found decapitated and with all fingers and toes amputated, in order to prevent any possibility of real identification. This cadaver was found in a grave physical condition, but miraculously, a brand new ID card was found next to it, with my father's details and picture. Monica brought the pictures to Chile. She showed up at our house to show the pictures to my mother, who, at that time, was all about trying hard to find my father, whether it was tracking information leads, however feeble they may be, or contacting international journalists and diplomats to create pressure on the military junta to release my father, or at least some information about him and his whereabouts. Monica showed the pictures to my mother. My father was a tall man, six foot three, so it was not easy to fabricate a corpse that would fit his size. My mother took one glance at the pictures and immediately ruled, decisively and with great relief, that is not my husband's body. My father was tall with a slender build and his torso tilted slightly to the side due to a lung that collapsed when he was younger. The corpse, issued as a proof of his alleged escape to Argentina, was a very muscular corpse. In addition, this body was very hairy in the chest area, and my father, he had almost no hair on his chest. Following this journalist's public and very courageous report, the military regime was forced to eat the hat, as they say, and admit that it was a mistake in identification. A small moral victory and a renewed hope for us as a family at that time. Maybe he's still alive, although many years later we will realize that he was murdered as early as October 74 about two weeks after he was kidnapped from prison by the secret police. Why was he killed back then? And why we still continue to receive misinformation about his so-called whereabouts? I will go into those details in one of the next episodes. The military junta tried to minimize the embarrassment by claiming that Gonzalez, the journalist, was my father's lover in order to damage her professional credibility and to harm us, the family. There are no limits to evil 
and cynicism. I met Monica in 1991, at the age of 24, the first time I was permitted to return to visit in Chile. I don't remember much about the encounter, because it was very personal and moving, and less concerned with facts and details. She just wanted to make sure, beyond any doubt, that I would understand the cadaver found in Argentina wasn't my father's body. In 1975, when this whole affair unfolded, I was an eight-year-old boy and I was completely unaware of this whole issue. It is important to add that a few years later, a former secret police agent named Enrique Clavel admitted under oath that the whole affair was an attempt to fabricate the death of my father and to deny any responsibility whatsoever. The mainstream press in those years collaborated with the dictatorship, and for months after, articles were published about alleged Chilean dissidents who fled to Argentina and lived there in peace and comfort. Another Argentine newspaper published a list of 60 names of Chilean anarchists supposedly killed by their own comrades in battles in Argentina, Colombia, Panama, Mexico, Venezuela, and even in France. Under the same modus operandi, other bodies of murdered and disappeared people were found, such as Luis Gendelman, Jaime Robot, Juan Carlos Perelman, a total of 119 people. The youngest of them were 18-year-old students. By the way, my father's name is missing from the list thanks to the investigation of journalist Gonzalez. So you could say that it is actually a list of 120 people. So that's how they tried to get rid of anarchists in Chile and cover up their murders. I will not make any comparisons to what is happening here in Israel. Just remember who are called anarchists today army reservists, high-tech people, senior economists, and ordinary citizens who have been demonstrating in the streets every Saturday night for two consecutive months. Traitors and anarchists. That's how they are labeled, by government officials and members of the parliament. So it is only a matter of time before this instigation is translated into actions, into a physical attack on demonstrators. During the Balfour demonstrations, there were some claims that the participants were wealthy people from Tel Aviv, that they ate in fancy restaurants before and after, and that they rented rooms in luxury hotels. As if the whole thing was nothing more than entertainment for them, that they are violent and try to hurt police officers. Anyone who has been to the demonstrations knows that there is no bigger lie than this. Nowadays, the ultra-right Minister of Interior Security claims that the protesters against the judicial reform come to the demonstrations with Rolex watches on their wrist. Another minister says that the reservist pilots who called for refusal to serve if the legal reform passes are low lives. When people are labeled as traitors, 
when they are attacked with spitting and beatings at intersections, when the police arrest people just for wearing a protest shirt, the day is not far off when someone will also be murdered. If and when the judicial reform is implemented, there will be no one to protect those citizens. These last paragraphs were written in the summer of 2023, at the peak of the political and social crisis we were drowning in, with many fearing a civil war. Then the infamous October 7th attack occurred, and we had to put aside all of our differences, all the political crises, and unite in order to fight terror. However, those issues remain unsolved. They have just been put on hold, and we will have to resolve them after the war is over. So, it has been a tough episode, I know. I hope most of you stayed with me until now. We started with the condor. Did you recognize the music I used in between? It is a tune that Simon and Garfunkel copied and made into a very famous song. If I could. If I only could, I surely would. However, the original tune is from South America, from the Andes Mountains. It is a praise to that majestic eagle, the condor. When I was a kid, I played the flute in an Andean music orchestra, and it was one of my favorite songs to perform. Today, unfortunately, not much remains of the great musical promise that was embodied in me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to send me your comments. If you enjoyed it, please share it with at least one friend of yours and help me connect with more listeners. We will meet in the next episode sometime very soon.